wanting to tell stories like this is a feeling. It's not a thought that you have in passing. It's not something that you just wake up one day and decide to do. I don't think, I think the people that really want to do this are people that feel it within themselves. Buju, hello. Welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. Miigwech for joining us today. Native Lights is, at its core, a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Every week, we have wonderful conversations with great guests from a whole lot of different backgrounds. These are policymakers, healers, artists, entrepreneurs, social media content creators, you name it. We talk to them about their gifts and how they share those gifts with their community. And it centers around... Uh, the big point of purpose in our lives. And I can't wait to continue doing that, amplifying Native voices today. How are you doing, sis? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. You know, it's it's crazy that like a big chunk of summer is already kind of going by. I'm getting my, my summer tan on. How are you doing? Oh, okay. What do you consider to be summer? <laughs> Since my birthday is uh, June 10th, I usually base it on that a little bit. So do you consider your birthday to be like the kickoff? The unofficial start of summer, yes. To the party that is summer? Okay, just making sure. <laughs> and then my birthday towards the end of August would be the unofficial, like, winding down of summer. Still a little bit of summer left, but yeah, it's winding down for sure at that point. Well, I mean, this is such a meaningful conversation, Cole, uh, full of yeah. depth and yeah. hard-hitting reporting. <laughs> but today we are talking to somebody who does... Awesome, hard-hitting reporting, and a lot of, like, human conversations as well. Another person who is a media professional. I'm super excited to talk to Ogama Ganuakwe, Emma Needham, citizen of the Red Lake Nation, who found her voice as a media professional. She works on Native Roots Radio, and we've had Robert Pilot on Native Lights before, yes, we have, which yeah. was <laughs> really fun. And Emma also produces symposiums, sharing the work of Indigenous organizations, and we also recognize her voice as a fellow producer and reporter for Minnesota Native News. How about that? So welcome, Ogama, Emma Needham, to Native Lights. Boujou. Buju, Emma, could you please, you know, start out by introducing yourself and where you're joining us from? Sure. Um, Buju, Anin, everybody. My name is Emma Needham, Indigenous Ogama Ganuakwe. I am a citizen of the Red Lake Nation, and I'm joining you today from central Minnesota. Something we always like to ask our guests is, uh, you know, how are you doing? How's your family doing during the, you know, the pandemic 2022 you know, my family has fared pretty well. Um, I had a new baby in March, and unfortunately, me and the baby had COVID in April or May. It was May. Sorry, it was May. Me and the baby had COVID in May, um, and we've had to do some pretty extensive traveling, um, unfortunately, due to losses in the family over the past few months. So we're still, as we come into summer, we're still kind of recuperating from that. That's got to be really hard. I can't imagine... Having a little one like that, so little, and getting COVID. So, but it was, we actually got to meet, and I got to meet your little one who was wearing the most adorable ribbon skirt. It's lovely to see you both happy and healthy. Emma, 
what would you consider to be like on the top of your mind that you're thinking about these days? You know, one of the things that is at the top of my mind is what's happening in Minnesota environmentally. I think about that a lot, actually. There's a lot of environmental issues and projects that are happening or scheduled to happen across Minnesota that are incredibly dangerous to uh, the water, the earth, and then they also violate indigenous rights. So some of those would be uh, the planned Huber Mill in north central Minnesota. Obviously, the completion of the Line 3 pipeline continues to threaten water, land, and air. And the other projects that we have going on, too, include the Polymet Mine, as well as the uh, Tamarack Mine that may be scheduled near Tamarack, Minnesota, to help pull heavy metals for lithium batteries, lithium ion batteries, I believe, require some of the nickel and copper oxide that needs to be mined, of course, because we don't know how to get else to get those minerals. So um, that's threatening in uh, northeastern Minnesota. Are these topics that you're covering then for Native Roots or Minnesota Native News? Yes, I actually do cover a lot of those topics on Native Roots Radio, and I cover them as local and regional issues, but somebody reminded me, actually, after the event we were at yesterday, Leah, where I got to actually meet you in person finally, because I started with Minnesota Native News during COVID, so I had never met any of my coworkers for Minnesota Native News in person in a year and a half now, but I digress. The event that I went to following that was a showcase of art from water protectors, from people who were involved in direct resistance to the Line 3 pipeline. And I submitted some of my uh, photographs. Actually, a lot of those photographs that I submitted were photographs that never even made it onto the Native Roots radio page. They were a lot of photographs of the art that was made for the protest and for the resistance of the Line 3 pipeline. So I submitted those photos and While I was there, I was hearing a lot from other people and there was an open mic session and somebody came up to the mic and reminded all of us that there are, (laughs) there's millions of people between the beginning of the Mississippi and where the Mississippi meets the Gulf of Mexico at the bottom of the United States. So this, even though I cover it as a regional and a local issue to the state of Minnesota, it's technically the line three pipeline threatening the water of the Mississippi River would be a national issue because it would obviously pollute downstream. And there have already been frack outs or um, reported releases of fracking fluid in the Mississippi River in more than one location in Minnesota. And the pipeline is currently running underneath the Mississippi River near the headwaters. I believe it's within 20 miles of the headwaters. So that would cause massive damage uh, running down the entire length of the Mississippi River. And the company that installed the Line 3 pipeline has had those types of damages before. Uh, They had a pipeline underneath the Kalamazoo River in Michigan that burst in, I believe it was 2010. And the Kalamazoo River has still, or it was either 2001 or 2010, and the Kalamazoo River has still not completely recovered from that damage, nor did that company step up to pay for a lot of the cleanup for that pipeline. So it's it's an ongoing thought in my head how very vulnerable we are in the state of Minnesota with all these projects coming in. Right. And our vulnerability is shared by North America because of the watersheds and the river systems 
of Minnesota and the Laurentian divide and all of that that pushes the water out in all directions. Exactly. So even though these issues and Standing Rock was the same way, Standing Rock was, you know, five years ago reported as it was more of a regional issue or a local issue. And I feel that Line line 3 has been reported on that as well. But when you start looking at the true impacts of these types of mega projects and these types of pipelines that transport these toxic substances, it is definitely a national issue. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Emma Needham, Oguma Ganuakwe, who is a media professional and is a citizen of the Red Lake Nation. It's quite apparent that you have a passion for environmental issues and, st- and storytelling surrounding that. I mean, everybody should have interest in that, but I was curious, you know, where that passion came from? Where did, when did you realize you wanted to tell stories about these issues? About 10 years ago, my father, who has since passed, got involved with a cousin of his, my uncle, Marty Cobanese. And Marty was explaining to my father about this Line 3 pipeline. At the time, the company that had installed the old Line 3 current, (laughs) what was installed in 2020 and 2021 was actually considered the quote new line three or a replacement for that original project. And the route had been slightly modified to go around the Leech Lake Reservation in central Minnesota. However, at that time, the old line three was operating and had been operating underneath ceded lands that belonged to the Red Lake Nation. My understanding is that I'm the company that operates line three had not asked permission of the Red Lake Nation to put that pipeline there. They just seen that the land was vacant and installed the pipeline there. So a ragtag band of us (laughs) got together and we started occupying that land. We had called the company and they had said, well, if that land was occupied by a permanent structure or by people that we would we would have to shut that pipeline down. We can't have people camping or living or doing anything over where the pipeline is. That would be a danger. So we occupied the land for, I believe, more than 30 days um, in the dead of winter, actually. And I was pregnant with my first child. So it was like January and it was freezing cold. And we were We had lit a line of fires over where we knew the line had been placed. Uh, We had a semi-permanent structure that was placed on the property. We built a fence as a permanent structure on the property, all in an attempt to ask this company to shut down the Line 3 pipeline. And unfortunately, none of it worked. Eventually, the camp had to disband. But at the time that we were occupying, there was a lot of people who were from Red Lake Nation and from other tribes. But there was also a lot of independent journalists and reporters who were there, one of which was Lorenzo Serna. And they at the time had not yet uh, become part of what we now know as Unicorn Riot. But they were there and reporting on this issue and helping to create content, helping to create YouTube videos, helping to add music and interview people about why this was important to us. And I think that's probably what lit the fire for me was that for once I had seen somebody create something that portrayed what I was feeling within myself onto a screen or onto audio 
the importance of what I was doing was able to be broadcasted outside of myself. And I think that's probably where it started. After we disbanded, I stayed really active with educating and um, going to meetings and groups and um, talking to people about the Line 3 pipeline. But my father passed away in 2015. And I had to step away for some time to heal from losing my father. I was very closely connected to him through all this type of activism. And, you know, I was the mother of a small child and working and, you know, all those things kind of happened. And then Standing Rock happened. And Standing Rock relit that fire. And I did not get a chance to go out to Standing Rock again as the mother of a young child. I was a single parent. And I didn't have the safety net to say, I can go to Standing Rock. And that ate at me <laughs> for years, for at least a year or two after Standing Rock. It just, it, it really bothered me that I had not gone, that I had not made my stand for that as well. So I started to feel like there was just this big hole in my life. And what was I doing? You know, I had, I was working, I had a good job, you know, I was, I was doing these things that were good for myself, but there was still something missing in my life. And I realized what was missing is that I was not doing anything as a native person for native people. And I immediately thought of that first occupation near Leonard, Minnesota of Red Lake Seated Lands is that I could be doing something like that. But with a small child, it's a safety issue for us to be able to be a part of that. So I started to think about other ways in which I could do that. And I remembered the media and the videos that we made. So I got online and I started looking for native radio stations. Because in the event of the end of the world, and we don't have the internet anymore, radio is what's going to save us. So I started looking up radio stations. And I was typing in Google. I was looking on social media. And on Facebook, I came across Native Roots Radio. And I sent a message to the owner, Robert Pilot. And he said, tell me a story. And record it and send me a tape. And... I honestly panicked. I messaged him back. I was like, I don't even know how to do that. I don't even have any recording equipment. And he said, just use your phone. There's a memo pad function. You can record a voice memo. So I sat down and I wrote a story about the first thing I could think about, which was uh, at the time I had two birthdays. Uh, I've since gotten it corrected. But at the time, my federal ID and my state ID did not line up. Uh, The days were one before the other. So one said, one day and the other one said the day after, which made my life a bit of a logistical, bureaucratical nightmare. Um, So I told that story and Robert listened to it and messaged me back right away and said, record yourself with your name and where you're from and say that you're for Native Roots Radio and send it back to me. And he put me on air the next day and he asked for a story the following week and the week after that and the week after that. And throughout that first six months, I had a story every week. Um, at the time, Native Roots Radio was only on for two hours on Saturdays instead of five days a week like we are now. So that's what I did for a very long time was I told these stories of my life or poems or essays or I'm not even really sure what you want to call them, but I talked about my life and how I felt and experiences that I had had on air. And it became apparent when COVID-19 started happening (laughs) that we needed news on Native Roots Radio. So I took over 
um, news gathering and reporting on primarily Native issues and also environmental issues and the Line 3 construction pipeline or Line 3 pipeline construction started happening. So I covered that very in-depth throughout the process. And now we are on the other side of that and looking forward to other environmental issues that are currently plaguing Minnesota. I don't know if you ever feel this way, but if you feel like you're kind of working in a vacuum almost mm-hmm. um, with, you know, if you're not maintaining all the connections and networks, um, it can feel like you have like way more to do than you can possibly handle. Because I think of like the environmental stuff, um, the environmental issues that are around Minnesota. And I'm like, I want to, I want to do all of that too, you know, <laughs> but I'm like, but I know Ogma is on the case and um, Ogma is doing a great job and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it when I can. And, you know, kind of, we're, we're kind of sharing and collaborating by working side by side, it feels like. Yes, absolutely. And I appreciate you saying that. Each of those issues I mentioned at the beginning require tracking, to keep track of what's happening with those issues. And then there's six of them. And, you know, on top of it, what are people doing about it? And how can people get involved to do something about it? Those are all things that can get a little overwhelming at times. But having support within Indian country is so vital, so very vital. And, you know, while I'm at it, I suppose I could tell the story about how I got involved with Minnesota Native News, which was also through Robert Pilot. Robert knew Leah Lem. And connected me to Leah Lem. And Leah Lem and I had a conversation on Zoom. And she connected me into the director of Minnesota Native News and at the time. And I started getting support in that realm for Minnesota Native News to tell different types of stories on Minnesota Native News. So it all works in a circle like so many things do for us as Native people. I think that we have each other to lean on. And because we've built those connections, those connections come back to us full circle. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Emma Needham Ogima Ginuikwe, who is a Red Lake Nation citizen and a media professional. Because of the closeness that I have to a lot of these environmental issues, it becomes hard for me to remain neutral about those issues. So on Minnesota Native News, I tend to report on other Native issues that are issues or events that are happening throughout Minnesota or talking to people who are doing things like language revitalization or um, education around Native people or land back projects, um, everything from Minnesota Makoche to um, the change in the Mounds Park from a park to an actual cemetery, which is what it is, to the language programs that are available online for free on Zoom through the Cultural Language Arts Network. All of those things are stories that I have covered because even though I feel that the environmental issues are so very pressing. It's also important to remember that our culture is what is driving a lot of 
us to take action for the environment. So if I can report on cultural events and positive things that are happening within the Native community, the more that positivity builds, the more that we can reconnect to our culture. Again, it'll come full circle. There'll be more people who will be willing and able to see that they need to take action for the environment. I feel like in the wider society, let's say, there's so much competition. You know, like it's a zero-sum game. Like if I have a a program, it's in competition with somebody else who does like a similar program. But I feel like in Indian country, it's like I want more programs because that's better for everybody because then more people listen and we can refer to one of another's work. And uh, I, I think it's a good support system and is totally different, a different system than like colonized journalism. I can speak to that actually. During my coverage of the Line 3 construction in the past year and a half, I did come face to face and have a lot of interaction with people who are coming from non-native publications and websites and radio stations and all of those places. And most of them were lovely, wonderful, kind people, but they were not interested in collaborating in the same way that other Native journalists were. And Native Roots Radio, we uplifted a lot of independent Native journalists who were doing a lot of work. We still do a lot of uplifting of that. People who were, you know, using drones and photography, people who were taking the time to write letters and send stories to other stations. But when I interacted with a non-Native reporter and suggested, hey, we could exchange numbers, we could work on this together, I bet I have some photos I could share with you, they were surprised that I was offering to share my photos. And I'm like, yeah, just credit me. Just say you got it from me and, you know, throw my name on it, please. That's all I ask. And they were they were legitimately suspicious. <laughs> They were suspicious of me <laughs> that I was offering something like that. And I realized, I think it was during the treaty people gathering during last June, I was out there camping and I, I helped run the media table to check in other media during the event to make sure that everybody knew where to go, which places were allowed and not allowed and was doing my own coverage at the same time. And as I checked in all of these different media people, it became very apparent to me what those differences in culture were mm. and the in the differences in culture of the media of not just native culture but also the difference in between local publications and national publications so it was a really eye-opening experience um i guess i'm curious you know you started out using voice memo on your phone uh, how did your you know storytelling the technology that surrounds it how did that evolve you know how did it, how did you how did you use that to better you know uh, present your stories yeah initially like i said i was using voice memo on my phone and i did not have a way to edit it so if i misspoke if i stumbled i had to stop what i was doing and start over which really hurts when you're recording an eight minute block, which I did not know at the time because I was completely new to media, that an eight minute block is a really long time to talk. But it evolved in that um, 
my phone started having issues and I was having trouble getting my pieces in because my phone was having trouble. So Robert took it upon himself to say, you're valuable to me and my program and I appreciate you and I support you. And he went and bought me a phone. And so then I had an iPhone in which I could do small edits on on my work, on my piece. And after that, he loaned me, um, it's called a Roadcaster Pro. It's a small mixing board audio podcast recording device that allows me to record a file. And then he taught me how to edit and how to edit those files on um, Adobe, Adobe Premiere Plus, actually, which does both video and audio editing. So like Leah said, I had a lot of support to be able to upgrade my technology and to continue doing that. So now um, that's still my primary mode of recording and I have a very solid microphone and um, yeah, I just, I keep working and plugging away at that. You talk about starting with voice memo on a phone. Like that just goes to show how important, how significant the words, the story, and the voice are. What else do you need, really? Like, there are lower barriers to entry now. And so hopefully we can encourage even more Native media makers to get out there. You know, it's it's so strange that I came into this the way that I did. Because I think had I really gone for it, and had I gone to journalism school, had I done all those things, I would not be doing the kind of content and work that I am now. I, I was also curious if you know if you had any suggestions or advice for you know people who may not have quote unquote the journalistic experience but want to tell uh, stories. The advice that I would have for people who want to tell these stories is that wanting to tell stories like this is a feeling. It's not a thought that you have in passing. It's not something that you just wake up one day and decide to do. I don't think, I think the people that really want to do this are people that feel it within themselves and it's not a thought. So with that, I say, get out of your own head about it and take the leap. If you feel strongly that you should do something, then I believe that you should do it, which means you need to take the leap of faith and make a connection with somebody, ask for help, reach out to somebody that's doing this, ask your network of people and ask how you get started. If you're not sure where to start, if you never ask, it won't happen. Be brave. If you're feeling that you want to tell these stories, it's an emotion, which means that you're responsible for that. It's a responsibility to tell these stories. And it's not something that you just have a thought about and you execute, you feel it and you're responsible for following that. And by doing that, you have to be brave. We're just curious if you have any, you know, final thoughts, uh, anything you're excited about for the future, or just, you know, any closing things. I'm excited to continue in the future with media and excited to continue doing my part to decolonize it. We appreciate you so much, Ogma. Yeah. Take Gwich. care. Yes, Jimmy Gwich to you too as well. Miigwech to Emma Needham, Ogamaganuakwe, media professional, Red Lake Nation citizen. What do you think, Cole? I thought it was very profound when she said, you know, if you 
have the the feeling of amplifying voices of storytelling that it's it's more like a responsibility. Like I, mm-hmm. I love that. That's a great thought. We'll add links to Native Roots Radio on our webpage and show notes. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Gigawabamin. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.